Today on Context, one of the worst weather-related disasters ever to hit the Southern Hemisphere. More than 750 deaths so far in the wake of Cyclone E-Day that ravaged through Zimbabwe, Mozambique, and Malawi in Africa. Today we ask, how is help being activated? The video captured from the ground in the aftermath is astounding. Homes, schools, people's livelihoods destroyed in a matter of moments. And these crisis zones are not limited to Cyclone E-Day. Today on Context, we take a look at why natural disasters happening all over our world are triggering a domino effect of more floods, drought, famines, and other weather disasters. Today, crisis zones and what we can do to help our global neighbors. The United Nations says more than a million children have been affected by the cyclone of Ide, and uh, it has hit the coast of Mozambique, the port city of Bira, the hardest. Aid agencies say 90% of that city has been destroyed. From World Vision, Joseph Kamara is there now. Joseph, um, accounts of stranded women trapped in trees, throwing their babies into rescue boats. Is this how desperate it is? Give us a sense of the destruction. First and foremost, I'd like to say that the, the devastation was big, quite huge to quantify. Uh, for example, all the buildings I see in Bera City have lost their roof. Uh, roads were cut, washed away. Um, infrastructure destroyed, houses destroyed, and in rural areas the impact was much worse because people live poorly and they use semi-permanent and uh, un, um, semi-permanent housing conditions, and these have been washed away completely. A lot of people have been left homeless. Um, over 400,000 people have actually been left homeless and in um, um, temporary settlement sites, different in different areas. So yes, the impact has been huge. Lots of children have been left um, separated from their families in the process of rescue, rescue because uh, water cut off people from in whatever they ran to, uh, to safety. And Joseph, how do people begin again? What do you do at World Vision to put kids back with their parents, to get a roof over somebody's head? Where does it start? This is a really, really difficult uh, situation. First and foremost, wherever the people are, we're still finding out new communities that went to higher ground um, that we didn't know um, were existed. But um, as reconnaissance flights are being carried out, uh, new communities are being found and identified wherever they are. And we try to drop them um, to do airdrops for food and water and um, where possible to rescue the injured and bring children to safety. It's very difficult because many children have been separated from their families uh, because uh, there were very few helicopters, but also space um, was not sufficient to rescue everybody in those communities. So priority was given to the children, to the elderly, to the injured and the sick. Okay. Um, it is very difficult at the moment um, to repair, to give people, to make sure everybody has shelter. But uh, aid agencies are trying their best to uh, distribute temporary um, shelter materials like tarpaulins and tents 
so our people can be protected from the element. Okay, element. Uh, jo Joseph, let me ask about the faith communities because there is a great um, need for people to have hope. How are people keeping their faith? Is the faith community active? Yes, um, oh, people of Mozambique and in particular uh, people of faith, um, the church is uh, a uh, plays a significant role in Mozambican communities. And uh, even though the church itself is affected because its communities have been affected, um, church buildings have lost their roof, have been uh, affected. But um, it's faith that pulls us together. There are significant faith-based organizations here like World Vision, uh, Food for the Hungry, and Caritas, and others that are actually coming together to say, and Samaritans pass. Thank you for your good work with World Vision. Please continue praying for the people of Mozambique, especially the children. Uh, we are currently facing a secondary, likely secondary disaster, which is uh, cholera and malaria that are going to break out because of um, the poor sanitation, as you know, the water is everywhere. So that is going to be a game changer. All right. Thank you very much, Joseph. We will pray and we will act. Okay. Over now to Sheldon with someone else on the ground just south of where Joseph is at that worst flooding. Thank you, Lorna. Yes, Shelby Stapleton is in the capital of Mozambique where relief supplies are starting to roll in. Uh, for many, the crisis has only just begun. Flooding throughout the region is now raising concerns over waterborne diseases like cholera, malaria, and typhoid are now threatening thousands. Shelby, set the scene for us there. I mean, you're literally halfway around the world. We're connecting now. What are you and others facing there? Yeah, um, it is now close to two weeks since the cyclone hit here in Mozambique, and we're really only just learning the full impacts of what it has done to the country here. At present, there are 135,000 people taking shelter in 161 different sites. So for us, that really raises significant concerns over diseases like cholera and other waterborne diseases, uh, making sure that we can protect those families who have been displaced and make sure that they don't suffer further because of the cyclone. Can you tell us more about the threats of waterborne diseases now in the area? Yeah, look, water supply has been a real challenge. It's only in the last few days have they managed to reconnect uh, the clean water supply, and, and still that's only in the city itself. Most of the people taking shelter are in communities very, very far away from anywhere, anywhere we can access. So the threat of waterborne diseases is real, it's large, um, and, and things like uh, cholera and watery diarrhoea, which they're now reporting 2,500 cases of watery diarrhoea, um, put the, the health of children at significant risk, particularly in a region that's already experiencing food insecurity and malnutrition. Wow, who are the most vulnerable in crises like these, and how can we make sure they are not forgotten? Yeah. At the moment, UNICEF are estimating that one million children have been impacted by this disaster. And, and for all of us that 
those are the most vulnerable children. We have to reunite families who have been separated. We have to make sure children are not exploited as part of this disaster. So what World Vision is trying to do is to establish child-friendly spaces, which are essentially tents in these settlement areas where children can play and receive psychosocial support. It also gives their parents a chance to take a break and maybe connect with authorities so that they can start rebuilding their lives and, and allows us a chance to, to truly protect those that are the most vulnerable. Shelby, challenge our apathy here. Why should we donate towards these natural disasters that seem so far away? One might say, well, it's not in my backyard, so I'll just watch but not take part. Uh, bring us a little bit further on why we need to do much more than stand by and watch. These truly are the world's most vulnerable people. Mozambique here, we're often forgotten, um, but the United Nations have now classified this disaster as one of the worst that's, that's ever occurred. Uh, and these people before the cyclone hit were incredibly vulnerable and have just uh, experienced one of the worst things to happen in the world. So I would really encourage people to, to not forget the most vulnerable. There are many causes to natural disasters and um, many reasons why poverty continues to exist in these parts of the world. Uh, and it's it's not the fault of the people who are living in these uh, difficult places. Uh, and I feel like it's it's our duty as, as those who are more privileged to support the most vulnerable people. Thank you, Shelby Stapleton, for the work you're doing. Let's go to Lorna now with a look at the science behind natural disasters like Cyclone E-Day. Well, our conscience on how we're handling climate change is also part of the crisis care that we're talking about today. Our next guest has been tracking with the science of weather for the last 10 years. She works at the University of British Columbia's Biodiversity Research Centre, Dr. Elizabeth Wolkovich. Um, thank you for being with us. First of all, are weather patterns like this getting worse? Yes, in general, climate change is going to bring about what we call more extreme events. So things like more droughts, more floods, more hurricanes, and all of those factors have been increasing over the last 10 to 20 years. And the projections are that they will just get worse in the next 20 to 50 years and onward, depending on when we actually have action on climate change. It's a really overwhelming thing to um, consider that climate change is affecting the poorest of the poor more than it's affecting countries like ours. Yes. It, it, help us understand that. So climate change is a global issue. We all share one climate, and that means that countries can basically contribute to climate change at different rates. So for example, countries like the United States, um, China right now, in the past Europe, Canada as well, have contributed a lot of the greenhouse gases that cause climate change. But then the consequences of those um, gases going into the atmosphere are shared by everybody in the system. And the people who are impacted the most are those who either, one, are in the spots that are going to see the biggest and most dramatic changes for things like hurricanes. That means low-lying countries um, and low-lying areas. And also the people who have the littlest amount of money to support infrastructure to try to combat climate change. So places like Miami, for example, um, right now pay for pumping out water because of sea level rise, and they can afford to do that, but
but the poorest nations and the poorest people really have no way to buffer themselves against these major challenges of climate change that were in most part caused by the wealthiest nations and the wealthiest people. So as you see the effects of, uh, of uh, Cyclone E-Day and what's going on in those three countries, Mozambique, the hardest hit, what do you conclude about, about what the future should look like? What I hope it will look like is that people are beginning to see increases in hurricanes. And I think at this point, it's, a, it's high enough that I think people are starting to wonder if it could be linked to climate change, that the hurricane seems so much stronger than maybe they seemed to people 10 years ago, and they are, and that that will lead to action, global action, where countries will stand up because their citizens want them to and actually act to change how we mandate, how we use greenhouse gases and how we put them in the atmosphere. We've committed to a lot of dangerous events in the future. The things we are seeing in Mozambique, we're going to see again. We can't undo right now what we've done to the global climate system, but we make a choice every day about how much worse it will be in the future by inaction. So what I hope in the future is that we have committed to an emission scenario where we don't have greenhouse gases increasing, and then we'll have the ability to actually decide how to help countries um, financially and through other means deal with what the future climate would be like. Right now, we don't have a plan for climate change, so we can't even prepare well for it, in my mind, because we can't tell people how bad it will be until as a global community, we decide on how much emissions we will allow into the atmosphere in the future. Thank you, Professor. Sheldon, over to you. Global Medic is organizing emergency supplies with volunteers for the victims of Cyclone E-Day. Raul, you have a Global Medic team on the ground in Zimbabwe. What are you hearing from your team? Yeah, so we've got two teams on the ground, one in Zimbabwe and one in Mozambique. Uh, the team in Zimbabwe has a mission to fly drones and get clean drinking water to folks. The folks in Mozambique are getting clean water to folks. This is a very tough situation here. There's an immense amount of damage, a lot of people in need, and it's really a race against time to get people clean water before cholera becomes really widespread. And why was your team specifically chosen by Zimbabwe, by the Zimbabwean government rather, to be on the ground to help the victims of the cyclone? Well, I think when we reached out to Zimbabwe and offered their government, you know, distinct services like essential services like drones for mapping their damage, so they have a better understanding of what's happening. And then obviously life-saving services like running point of source water purification units to get people clean water and then follow up with family emergency kits that have a water purification solution. So those very same families that we're serving with the emergency water have a solution that now that lasts a year. So they have water security. I mean, it just makes sense. Like it's the right thing to do. It's the right aid to get them to the right people. And of course, we want to do it at the right time, which is right now. So tell me, what kind of feedback are you receiving from residents in Mozambique and Zimbabwe? We're talking about those who are really vulnerable at this time. Uh, what, are they, what, are they, what are they saying? Oh, I, listen, they're, they're very grateful. I mean, it's one of these things where if we can get water restored to a lot of these folks, then their, their kids aren't getting sick. They're not getting cholera. They're, they're not dying needlessly. And once they have water security, they're able to go and, you know, get the other things that they need, tents, shelter, uh, food. So they're, the folks there are incredible. And, you know, they're, they're very grateful to the team for the work that's being done. But, I mean, you know, we're just honored to be there and, and to do our part to help. But the needs are immense. How long do you estimate recovery to take? Oh, recovery from this will be decades because it's so widespread. You just think about 
how many people are impacted. You know, I, I think the aerial damages in Mozambique are talking about 100, 120,000 homes. Well, if six people live in a home, I mean, that's 600 to 720,000 people whose homes have been damaged. Um, just think of how long that's going to take to recover. Talk about livelihoods, talk about jobs lost. You know, like there's just, it's going to be very hard to recover from this. But the key right now is to not just talk about recovery, it's about keeping people alive and making sure they don't get sick from something as avoidable as a waterborne disease. And help us bring home how can Canadians help in this emergency recovery effort? Well, I think the best thing Canadians can do is, is pick the charity that they like and trust and, you know, donate to them if they're working with boots on the ground in that in that region. So if you like what we do, support us, give us a donation. We're going to get people clean drinking water and, and make sure they don't die of cholera, make sure that diseases like this don't spread. Uh, that's our principal focus. But just do some research, pick who you believe in and then support them. That's the best way is to, to make a financial contribution. Well, wow. thank you, Raul, for your time. All right, thanks so much. Still ahead, in the wake of natural disasters, are we becoming compassion fatigued? How your hard-earned money does help people and where to engage in times of recovery. Plus, flooding hits closer to home. In the U.S. Midwest, homes, farms, and livelihoods swept away in unprecedented flooding. We speak with an Iowa farmer who says some of the farms in his county may not even recover. In the face of natural disasters like Cyclone E-Day, we can't help but see impoverished countries especially feel the impact of climate change the most. Sean MacArthur from Care Canada, thank you for joining us in Ottawa. Uh, this is a tough bridge to help people understand that the poorest are facing the effects of climate change the most when many aren't even sure climate change is uh, a trigger. What would you say to that doubt? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, on the other hand, I think that climate change is one of those issues where increasingly people are starting to feel it here at home uh, in Canada. Uh, for example, I'm thinking of the flooding that devastated entire communities right here in Ottawa, Gatineau area just last spring, or the wildfires that we've been having out west, or the erosion of um, coastal communities in the Arctic as the uh, permafrost melts. So I think that the very real challenges of climate change are starting to strike home for people in countries like Canada. And what we struggle with and what we need to um, use opportunities, uh, if we can call it that, uh, such as the one presented by Cyclone Edai, is to show how the effects of climate change disproportionately impact those in the poorest and most vulnerable countries and communities around the world. And those are precisely the places where people have the least amount of resources to adapt and recover from those types of crises. Okay, so it is affecting the poorest of the poor most and Cyclone E-Day is a wake-up call for us on that. How now do we address the fatigue factor, that people just feel it's just one more piece of information in a very busy world and my donation won't make a difference anyway? Yeah, I mean, that's something that we struggle with all the time. There are, as you say, multiple uh, protracted uh, crises around the world. I mean, whether we're talking about the highest numbers of displaced people since World War II or recent spikes in hunger, 
uh, after they've been declining for uh, a number of years. It behooves us, I think, as uh, Canadians with diaspora from so many uh, countries and places around the world to uh, think globally and think about the role and responsibilities that we have towards people around the world that, as I say, have the least amount of resources. And I think that climate change, uh, as I've said previously, is one of those issues where the connection relatively easily be made. We're uh, starting to feel those uh, impacts ourselves. Uh, we understand, uh, I think, increasingly that there's a role that we can play in helping people across the world. I mean, besides donation, and don't get me wrong, every dollar contributed to a crisis such as this one goes a long way to helping somebody in Mozambique or Zimbabwe. But I think also that we're seeing a new generation of Canadians, such as uh, the, the much bespoke millennial generation, that are uh, starting to tilt the balance of um, you know, political discourse and public discourse in this country. And they, as we know, are people that do think globally, that do care about different issues. And we need to uh, figure out how do we uh, tap into that and provide them opportunities to uh, engage civically, to um, not only donate, but also write to their MPs, to uh, sign petitions, to uh, get out on their, speak, on their feet, uh, speak with their feet, speak with their vote. I mean, if we look at the uh, student climate strikes around the world, we see that um, this is a generation that does care, and we need to give them meaningful opportunities to uh, show that they care. All right. Well, Sean MacArthur of Canada Care, thank you so much. And um, that's a good insight into the movement to change. Thank you, Sean. My pleasure. So that's the picture from Africa. Let's zoom out to North America now, where massive floodwaters have hit the Midwest, leaving livestock and crops destroyed and people's farms covered in floodwaters. The damage is estimated to be $3 billion in Nebraska and Iowa alone. Farmer Dustin Sheldon is in Iowa. In fact, he's in his pickup truck talking with us right now. Dustin, have you ever seen anything like this in your years farming? Well, in 2011, we had an event very similar to this that the Corps, Army Corps of Engineers and the National Weather Service called a 500-year flood. That was eight years ago. It, it uh, inundated our farms, our homes, and everything. Uh, this one is worse than 2011 was. Uh, in 2011, we had several uh, weeks to, in advance to plan to, to evacuate, get grain hauled, get the equipment moved, houses moved, equipment, everything like that. This one here, we had about three days. Uh, so we weren't able to get out as much uh, property, uh, you know, move everybody out of their homes get all the grain moved, everything like that. It's, this is going to be a lot more costly than 2011 was. Do you feel enough people are paying attention to your community? Well, I, I don't think a lot of people understand the ramifications of what's going on in our community. We're getting some, some national media coverage on this deal, but these people don't understand what what goes on. They, they think that, you know, that the money we're losing is... is uh, all profit. No, uh, farming's been a break-even business for the last couple of years in our in our part of the world, and our 2018 crop that we have money borrowed on to put it in the, to produce is sitting out there in the grain bins right now, and it's covered in water, and those grain bins are starting to swell and burst, 
Um, we've got banknotes uh, on that grain that we have to we have to sell. There's livestock that's that's had to be moved out. There's livestock that's been lost. Um, our 2019 crop is in jeopardy also because we're not sure we're even going to get a plant a crop. If we're going to have you know we're going to have to rehabilitate the land with the sand once the water finally does get off. Um, we've got no flood protection left on our our federal levy system because this. This flood event along the Missouri River has absolutely destroyed our levee system for approximately from about 25 miles north of our location all the way to the Missouri line, which is another 25 miles. So we don't have any flood protection in the in the, the spring runoff is just now starting to happen in the in Montana and the Dakotas. So we don't know when this event's even going to end. I just want to say my, my, our hearts and prayers are with you as this continues to unveil, not just for your community, but also your family. Uh, thank you for sharing your story with us. Thank you. Still ahead, whether it's our neighbors to the south or on the other side of the world, how can we provide meaningful relief? That's next. Context is needed. It promotes a fantastic dialogue. We need to stop building idols and icons that we attribute too much power to. If God is the God of all creation, then that includes science. You're watching Context. Flooding has also hit neighboring Nebraska, and Kristen Koning is on the ground organizing relief efforts with Samaritan's Purse. Uh, Kristen, we just heard how Samaritan's Purse was active in Mozambique and, and, and of course now in the homeland there of the heartland where your work is based. How, um, how are people's emotions that are having their homes flooded? You've had over 500 right there in Nebraska who have lost their homes. How are people? Yes, this flooding is widespread, affecting um, most of the state, including other states as well. Um, of course, it came as a shock. The waters just rose so quickly, um, and, and really flooding like this has never taken place here before. So um, definitely our homeowners are, are in shock. Um, they're really devastated. Some of them have lost their homes completely. Others um, have a lot of work to do to get their homes back in order. So uh, we, are, we are blessed to be here. Okay. You, um, you use that word blessed. I'm sure the victims are not feeling blessed. What are you engaging spiritually? What's happening in people's hearts and minds? Obviously, this is a very low point um, in, in so many of our homeowners' lives. Um, but it's, a, it's a, the time where we can come in and encourage them and offer them hope and healing in the midst of just their, their great distress. How, um, How do you offer hope and healing? Like what spiritually are you exchanging here? So first of all, we definitely have a physical component. We are reaching out to them to help them clean out their homes. We're mudding out homes, removing debris um, and helping them to kind of with the process of starting to, to get their lives back in order physically. But you're right, it's so much more than just physical. It's emotional and spiritual as well. Kristen, people can actually do something really significant. Samaritan's Purse is totally set up for being uh, volunteer-led. I used to be on the board there. You need help, don't you? Tell me who watching today at home could maybe come help. We do, we absolutely do need help. If you would like to volunteer, we'd love to have you. 
Um, if you go to SamaritansFirst.org, you can find out more about how you can get involved. Um, we, if you come and sign up and get registered online, um, if you come here, we house you, we feed you, we get you sent out to a site with an experienced team leader, and uh, we take care of all the logistics for you. Okay, you are, you are amazing. You don't pay wages, you don't pay travel to get down there, but once they're there, they're all taken care of. And it changes people's lives to go from being someone who doesn't have your home flooded out to actually working and helping shovel out, lift up the damages. What can people expect? Uh, they can expect, honestly, life a life-changing experience. Um, I myself started out as a volunteer, and it is, it is such an amazing opportunity to be able to come and love people and help people who are at the lowest in their life. Um, it will bless you abundantly as you bless others. All right. Well, Kristen, you've inspired us to get out there and help. Maybe Nebraska, maybe Omaha, maybe Mozambique, but do your part for this crisis care that is so needed right now from Cyclone Ide, from the flooding in the Midwest. For all of us at Context, take a good look at our website and how you can get involved in helping. Thanks for watching tonight.